welcome to Finance Matters, a podcast series where we bring you bite-sized thoughts, stories, and inspiration in the hopes that they'll be useful to you on this road we're all on to do our best and be our best in the realm of financial matters here at UVA. I'm your host, Brandi Van Ormer. With me today is my lovely co-host, Patty Marbury. Hello. And we are coming to you from Zoom land with a guest today. It should be someone familiar to you. We've got Lisa Harris with us again today. Hey, Lisa. Hey, ladies. It's so wonderful to be with you again today. Thanks for having me. I only wish we were really together. That would be great. <laughs> no. <laughs> so just as a reminder, Lisa is a senior learning and development consultant with our friends over in UVA HR, and we'll link to some previous episodes that she's done with us in the show notes, because every time Lisa is here, it's a fun time, and it is a time where we learn stuff. So Lisa, again, thank you for being with us today. Again, thanks for having me. So Patty, tell me what we're talking about today. We're gonna talk today about inclusive leadership. And specifically, we're taking our kind of talking points from a course that is in LinkedIn. Um, So it's for UVA folks, it's available through Workday. Um, It's a LinkedIn learning course Um, and it's called inclusive leadership. And it's with a um, woman who is a um, consultant, global workforce leadership person. I don't know exactly how to describe her. All around superstar in the area. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, Her name is Dr. Shirley Davis, and she's done uh, work with diversity, inclusivity um, across the world with different companies. So it was, some, it was just, you know, just to say um, this was a course that in our, in our team, um, Brandy's and my team in UVA finance, our leadership team um, took this course. And then we had a kind of follow-up discussion with it, which Lisa helped facilitate. So that was a, yes. that was really good, but that, that's kind of what gave us the idea of doing a podcast on this as well. So it's always a, roll of the dice when you get assigned a course <laughs> that's an online course, right. not mm-hmm. with a live instructor, you think, oh, I wonder if this is gonna be any good. Yeah. Um, this was a really great course. It was very dynamic and interesting. And so I was excited. Um, I wasn't known the planning like you two were <laughs> when, <laughs> when we got in the meeting where we were gonna talk about this. Um, I was just excited because it was a great course already and we had a good discussion around it. So, um, our general enthusiasm and appreciation for the content had us bring it to you today. Now we're not going to go over everything that Dr. Davis went over, but um, she does talk about the six C's of inclusive leadership. And we did, we thought that would be a really great place for us to begin the discussion and to uh, bring that idea to really everyone, whether or not you think of yourself as in a traditional leadership role or not. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So first of all, let's talk about the, just the concept of inclusive leadership, because I, I want to make sure we're all on the same page before we move on with that. When she talks about inclusive leadership, what's she talking about? So I would say that she uh, is really speaking to having everyone feel like the whole part of who they are, every aspect of their skills, their talents, their abilities, their life experiences, their exposures 
are able to be brought into the conversation, into the opportunities that exist in business. Um, and I think she nicely says, um, being in inclusive, the example she gives is one thing to come to the party is another thing to be asked to dance. And so in, yeah. <laughs> so in this case, it's um, I come, I bring everything that I am, but until you actually leverage it or use it or invite it in to help problem solve, then we haven't really got to a place of uh, inclusive uh, inclusivity. So it's really being asked to dance that really makes the difference. Yeah. I mean, otherwise you're going to leave the party. <laughs> Absolutely. Date right. doesn't have a good time at the party. <laughs> And you'll tell everybody else not to go to that party. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And, and I think the best part of that is, you know, as part of her class, she talks about innovation, creativity, and branding. And so imagine what happens when I show up and then you don't use all my gifts and talents. I leave taking all those gifts and talents, all that creativity, whatever it is you taught me. And then I don't necessarily say something positive about my past experience. And so- right we get a really great opportunity to retain people and invite them into the party um, as well when we're right. included. Presumably you hired them for their gifts and talents. So, you know, we're not talking necessarily about, I mean, everybody is responsible for inclusive, inclusivity and leadership, um, inclusive leadership. But, um, you know, when we're talking about hiring people, and then training them. And there, there must be some reason you wanted them to come to work for on your team. And so if you waste all of that by not inviting and include, including in your, in the work, then um, it is, it's just that wasteful. And you're also wasting the opportunity to reach out to people that you're trying to reach out to doing the work that you do. So for the university to reach out to students or, mm -hmm. or um, patients in our healthcare mission. So you miss the opportunity to use those, the people, your employees' talents and gifts and experiences to work with those people, whether they're like them or not as well. Mm -hmm. I really like that, Brandy, because I think the other word I would just add to that is you also miss the opportunity for you to grow because having those experiences with other people means I step outside of my comfort level and I get to grow too. Absolutely. So to be clear, when we say inclusivity, it's, the, it's not the same thing as diversity. And I point that out because you hear the, those words I mean, we talk about diversity, equity, inclusion. <laughs> um, we throw the terms around together a lot and people can falsely equate them in their mind, but it is different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you, do you want to talk a little more specifically about that? Yeah. How just a little bit, if you don't mind. Yeah. Um, well, I do love the analogy of being, of being invited to the party and then inclusivity is being asked to dance. Um, I, I think, you know, specifically in the workplace, we think of inclusion as making sure that folks have the opportunities um, for career, career and professional development, um, that they have a seat at the table and uh, literally, I mean, so that they're invited to participate in um, meetings and in projects and in growth, you know, opportunities um, so that they can learn and grow. Um, but then it's also more simple things like 
um, you know, just being invited into the conversations that people are having or lunch or, you know, like social things, um, just making sure that people are feeling like they're part of the team. Exactly. Would you add anything to that, Lisa? No, I, I think you you hit it. I mean, just it, and sometimes it's, it's more of the small things that signal that people feel valued than it is the larger things. Because if you can do the small ones, the larger ones um, feel like they fill in. And I really appreciate what you said, that whole thing about having equal access. It's like really define what equal access actually looks like. Um, Cause I think sometimes that's hard because people can say, well, the person has the job or they have this opportunity, but access, I think Pat, it goes into what you were just saying. So beyond just having someone show up, are you inviting them into all those other spaces and places so they feel more like part of the team? Mm-hmm. Yep. So Dr. Davis points this out in her class that being an inclusive leader really requires a shift in paradigm and that's uncomfortable because a change for any of us is an uncomfortable thing. But as Lisa was saying, you, you become open to how things can change you and change is uncomfortable. And you have to be open as Patty was saying to different ways of doing things so that you can bring more people to the dance as we were using that analogy. So, um, I thought maybe that was a good segue for us to jump in and talk about those, the six C's of the traits that are ident- that are exhibited by inclusive leaders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she talks about the six C's and she actually um, gives credit to Deloitte for developing the six C's. So it's probably important to say that even here as widely widely listened to as our podcast is, uh, we don't want to get in trouble. Well, I mean, seriously, we're working with Deloitte right now for FS. I know. Yeah. It is true. Great folks. (laughs) Um, But the first one is commitment. So the first C that she talks about is is, um, committing and making sure that you commit energy and support to inclusivity. to investing in people, to inspiring people to reach their potential is kind of how she describes it. And so I think that that commitment comes from both a organizational commitment. So from the leadership in the organization and just from the organization itself, but then also a personal commitment, I would say. So um, I I think that that's, that, that both are important. You need the permission to kind of do it and be it, but then you need to make the personal commitment to actually be that way in your your work. And commitment is an ongoing thing too. And that may present kind of a challenge for some uh, folks in their roles because, I mean, if you're in any kind of leadership role, there are lots of things that you have to be doing and boxes to check, but um, being committed to this just as much as other facets of your role is important because it contributes so much to the success or failure of all the other efforts. Yeah. Um, And one of the reasons, just to say one more thing about commitment, one of the reasons why I say it's, it's not, it's, it's a personal thing too, because 
we're talking about, you know, we're talking specifically about inclusive leadership, but I think in the sense that we wanna make sure that people, everyone realizes they have a um, responsibility when it comes to inclusivity. We're not talking about leaders as just the, the managers in an organization. Mm-hmm. We're really talking about everybody showing leadership in this area. And so um, so you can think about commitment and the way that Dr. Davis describes it from the Deloitte um, work that was was developed around this um, as being the commitment, committing time, energy, and support to investing in people. I sort of feel like it's easy to say if you're not a manager to say, oh, well then that's the manager's commitment. Um, They're the ones who have to worry about investing in people. They're the ones who have to worry about making sure that everybody is reaching their potential and all that stuff. But the reason why I say it's also a personal thing is that personally, I think everybody needs to make sure they're committing the time and energy into doing this work and making sure that they're um, behaving in an inclusive way. I think that's really important too, because we, I know that in our own areas in finance, there are people and teams that we default to and, you know, people that we're just like, okay, well, that person would be a great person to work with this on this project or do this thing. And that commitment to really thinking about people as a whole like, and what pe- different people could bring, that is a commitment. You do have to commit to thinking differently about things. Right. Yeah. I actually think, it, to me, it goes into the next one, which is on courage, because I think it takes courage to make that kind of commitment. And I think sometimes people make this work like it is a task or a tick sheet item. And in reality, when you think about it, most people raise their kids so that their kids will go to school and you'll tell your kid, you know, to be nice and polite and respect your teachers and respect your. And so if you think about how you raise your children and the values that you are instilling in your children or the values that come from your place of faith or wherever it comes from, the reality is that this is the same thing. This is the same thing we teach people and ask people to do that is part of who they are naturally, we'd like to say. And so the the thing becomes now what we're asking you to do, and this is a little bit of jumping a couple ahead, is to have the courage to recognize that you need to bring that to your professional workplace as well, because that level of commitment means I might need to start double checking myself in certain spaces and places to make sure I am being inclusive, right? Mm -hmm. And that I'm okay with being uncomfortable. Like, again, I would tell my child who's not comfortable with math that you, it's all right that you're not comfortable, but you're going to, you know, we still want you to learn math and you're going to be uncomfortable until you get comfortable. So Mm -hmm. I got to have the courage. And if you can tell our, if we can tell our kids to do all these things, we need to remember that just because we're older doesn't mean those are not the same things we need to reflect on to help help us get through these things that are really discussions about another person's humanity. And so all that to me takes a lot of courage. Uh I I almost feel like courage is, um, I don't wanna say that one is necessarily more important than the other, but whenever I think about some of the work that we're doing around um, diversity, equity, and inclusion, that's the word that comes to my mind. is that it takes courage from anybody who's involved 
to be able to have the tough conversations, to be able to stand by your principles and beliefs around that. And so, um, so I, I almost wish courage was like in capital letters. <laughs> it, can, it can be when we talk about it. <laughs> and she also talks about courage to the courage to be humble and recognize your own shortcomings and be willing to admit your mistakes. I think, I think that's important too. Mm-hmm. It takes a like part of courage is humility and part of courage is, you know, that commitment and bringing, bringing yourself to something and it all kind of bleeds in together. (laughs) So the third trait is cognizance of bias. Well, that's a fancy term. I know cognizance. (laughs) Cognizance. So she, needed, talk- she needed to do a C there. So instead of yeah. saying unconscious, it's just cognizance. <laughs> so let's, let's talk about cognizance of bias. Yeah, so um, I, the everybody has biases. And so I think cognizance of bias really is to recognize what those are. And rather than just say, well, I'm not like that, you know, I would never do that. Or um, then to recognize your own thoughts and beliefs and what has gone into why you think the way you do about certain things. It's um, so hard to be like a third person, an outside observer of your own thought process. Right. And challenges like, so say, Oh yeah. You know, like I challenge isn't a C, but maybe it should be. <laughs> <laughs> that was Brand- good. <laughs> I said challenge isn't a C, but maybe it should be. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's true. Um, but yeah, just being able to look at your own personal biases is one thing, but then also um, look at your your organization's um, structures and processes and policies and things that may have bias in them and. That's hard too, because I think that that, um, and I'm trying to think of a, an example of one. Lisa, you being in HR, you probably have more examples. Um, you all want to assume that there's objectivity out there. Right. <laughs> right. That's true. We're assuming positive intent. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think of a good example. Maybe, maybe as we talk, I'll think of a, a, of a good example of an organizational bias. But, um, oh, I just thought of something, Patty. I don't know if this helps, but you know, if you think about certain organizations by brand and reputation, do kind of perceive themselves as being more elite than other organizations or other groups within structures, right? Mm-hmm. Whether that's because of education or that's because of the work that they do, but the perception that one group or inside of a group, one has more value than the other, that some of that becomes you know, maybe who gets more time in front of higher level people, they have that organizational type bias as well. I don't know mm-hmm. if that helps at all. That's very yeah, helpful. it does help. And then I also think um, the way that when she describes it, she talks about um, making sure you implement policies, procedures, things like that to prevent organizational bias. And one of the things that, that I think from like an HR perspective that I've often thought about is um, when we post positions, um, that 
they are posted using language that is inclusive. Um, and then also um, posted in, in trying to recruit diverse and be include, inclusive in your reach, you know, for candidates for positions. Um, and then also things like, is there some bias um, that, so for example, are you um, posting a position that is, uh, doesn't require a master's degree, but you're actually saying that it does when it, for mm -hmm. whatever reason. And so you're automatically have a bias against, potentially against a whole group of people. And yeah. so, um, so that's those kinds of things, like looking at the things that you're doing to see where there might be some way of excluding people that otherwise should be included. Yeah, I think that's great. And when I, when I think of this one, um, you know, as they say, we all have biases, but the one little caveat I throw in to get people to really think is, do my biases also include um, a place of power? Because mm -hmm. I can have a bias, but if I have no power in my bias, then my bias is not gonna matter very much. But if mm -hmm. my bias is like you just said, toward people who have master's degrees, then I have some power and that power is gonna impact other people. Do, right. my, do my biases um, allow for, um, again, for others to be left out or included? Do my biases create teams or do they not? And so when people are trying to be conscious of their biases, and I think when Brandy said it's hard, um, I think it really is. And I think this is why this list is so important because if we, if we believe that all people have them, that means we all need to walk in the space to ask ourselves in this moment, is there some question I haven't asked myself that I should be asking? And why is that my automatic response? Mm -hmm. Like, why is it my automatic response to think only people with masters can do this job? You know, right. why is it my automatic response to think something else? And I think it's really hard because this thing says self-regulate to ensure fair play. Well, mm -hmm. again, I have to, and this goes to one of the other words, I have to start getting curious about my own thought processes and where they come from and why is it that that's my easiest or most quickest place to land in assessing somebody else or something else because if I'm not willing to do that then the challenge for me is that my blind spots again become so comfortable and then I do get defensive because when I go to say well that's not me maybe it is me because I still haven't asked myself that difficult question. Mm -hmm. Let's move forward then into the fourth trait of curiosity. Um, yeah. When you, you, first of all, you're cognizant of your bias, but you also keep asking yourself those questions about what, what kind of bias you might have. And then you're curious about other people and new perspectives. So just a personal thing right here where um, my current reading list intersects with what we're talking about. I'm reading a book called See No Stranger by Valerie Carr. And it's so good, recommended to everyone because <laughs> I know everyone takes my reading recommendations. But <laughs> she, that's a big, a big part of her, um, her discussion of um, where we are in our world today that a lot of the problems that we have is that because we forgot how to be curious about other people, how to, have a, how to wonder about others. Mm -hmm. We assume so much. We aren't curious about 
other people, we aren't curious about where they come from, what their background is. And so no growth occurs because we just stay insulated in our own viewpoints and our own bias. Mm -hmm. um, really interesting stuff. I'm simplifying it terribly, but it just seems to me curiosity really is an important one because if you stop asking questions, whether about yourself or others, it's a dead end. Yeah. You know, and I think a tip to, to stay curious is to stop talking and start listening. <laughs> I don't mean you, Brandy. In the general sense. <laughs> I mean, you know, like just to acknowledge your own, like, I don't know everything. Right. Yeah. Thank you. That's exactly what I'm trying to say. Um, and that, you know, practice active listening skills, ask questions, um, things like that. Well, then just thinking about why, like you may assume people are a way they are for reasons that are not the, not the real reasons. So mm -hmm. you may not, you may not consider people for opportunities or even to really be close to them in your work life or your life in general, because you think you know why they are the way they are, or you know something about them that isn't true. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the easiest, oldest example is people who are more introverted or um, who happen to be maybe shy, get thought of as stuck up. <laughs> uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. I would add to that by saying the need to get curious um, like you mentioned reading, I think if there's a, if there's a perception or a belief or something that you're carrying around, uh, I would challenge people in the world we live in today, you could Google it. Um, if you had issues around, you know, just throwing this out, uh, women are expressing a concern over um, salaries, then go and Google gender gap, right? Yeah, and we have no excuse gender, not to know things. Right. right. Yeah. We're, we're at the stage here now when if you don't know, you can Google um, pay equity and then go learn something about it. It doesn't mean yeah. there's enough articles that are pros or cons so that you can expand your mind. So to me, in this stage of curiosity, I struggle sometimes when people say they don't know because I lovingly want to go say, go Google, go Google right. it. Yeah. Right. At least go yeah. Google it or like Brandy, just grab a book. Um, I'm in a book club and we're reading this book called The Badass Librarians of Timbuktu. Right. So, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and I've learned more about Al Qaeda and, and, and the formation and how you convert people. And mm -hmm. then the precious manuscripts that talk about what um, Egyptians were doing long before um, things happened in other parts of the world. And so I think reading is fundamental. And, and if you don't know, and I think this is a true test of your commitment. If you don't know, be curious enough to go look it up and make the commitment to go read something and then use that as a way of engaging people in conversation. Hey, I read, I didn't realize pay equity was that bad, but we yeah. have no reason anymore to sit in the don't know category when we live in a world of Google yeah. and everything else we can access. A hundred percent. Nobody, it's nobody else's responsibility to teach you the things that you don't know. Um, you can find out and you always could but it, it's just so much easier right now. <laughs> and that means we have to evaluate the, the things that we're reading carefully too, but that's, that's all part of it. Um, 
So let's move into the fifth trait, cultural intelligence. This one um, I think can be difficult to be if you, um, in certain circumstances, I think of my own, myself as a little Midwestern girl. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think this one is another one that, that is just, um, it isn't as hard as it once was because we do have the ability to Google things and read and research and stuff. But it's basically really just um, learning about other cultures and um, under and specifically understanding, um, I don't know, the way that stereotypes play into different cultures um, and to recognize that those that they are. Um, and just just that and recognize your how your own culture kind of plays into that. Um, and so I don't, I think that once something like this would be very difficult, but now um, when we live in a world where there's so many different kinds of people and people from different cultures and that um, talking to people, asking questions, I mean, the, all of these things kind of go together. Yeah, you like, won't have cultural intelligence if you're not curious. Right, and That's so... True. Um, and then if you're, if you're not comfortable asking a specific question, look it up. Like Google's your friend. <laughs> and I would Who probably be, be comfortable with being uncomfortable in this too. Um, you know, as a story, I was teaching a class and it was a gentleman in the class and this is adult learning and he was struggling on something and weeks go by and he finally got it. And just out of sheer enthusiasm, cause I'm a hugger. I just hugged him and it was like, yes, you got it. Now, you all know you're probably not supposed to be grabbing people, but by my personality, I'm hugging people. And so we get to the break and he comes up and he's like, Professor Harris. I was like, yeah, he said, you can't hug me. And I was like, no, but you did such a great job. What do you mean I can't hug you? He says, no, you can't hug me. That's a religious thing. And he said, so the people who also in in my faith know that you can't, you can't hug me. And I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. I was so embarrassed. And he explained it to me. And I was like, thank you. So now I'm smarter because I, I did something out of caring, probably. But in the end, I learned something about the religion and the faith and what those roles are. So, you know, we're going to make mistakes. Things are going to happen. It's not that we made a mistake. That's the problem is that we didn't, you know, in my case, it wasn't that I was trying anything is that we don't ask and we don't try. And I think it's that commitment to be okay with being uncomfortable because you're going to be that way. And then not beat yourself up while you're doing it. Cause you'll never get to that cultural intelligence. Um, if you're not willing, uh, if, if, if you're afraid of making mistakes. Yeah. Yeah, You're never really going to know it all, but that's part yes. of the fun. Like there's so many things to know. Yes. So many different ways that people can be in the different backgrounds that we come from. And the more I, as, I, as so I've, I've picked up a lot of little pandemic related pursuits. <laughs> <laughs> and I have found the more that you pursue knowledge about something that you did not have any understanding of the more little side quests you go on the like things that you're just really interested in and um that's an exciting place to be in life just because you can get really bogged down in the same old day in and day out and that's not where leadership and growth or any of that comes from so cultural intelligence go watch an episode of no reservations right the sixth and final trait is 
being collaborative. So let's talk about collaboration. That's one that has come up tons in anything that you've done here. I'm sure at UVA, listening to Finance Matters, et cetera, we talk about collaboration. How does it relate to inclusive leadership? When I think about this one, I think about it as being a, a value for people and a core competency. And when I look at what this means, I think Patty said it best earlier when she was, you know, talking about courage. Uh, how do you you can you can improve everything related to the topic of diversity, equity, and inclusion through collaboration? Because when you build teams, people get to know each other for who they are, their contribution, you know, what their gifts and their abilities actually are. And so therefore I can, I lower the temperature on all those things I might be uncomfortable or sensitive about. And I start to see people for just the human, their humanity, their gifts and their talents, good, bad, or indifferent. And then that hopefully it causes the rest of this list to become easier for me to uh, engage if I'm in collaborative work environments. Most companies today like to create teams across that level of diversity. You have to have it first to do it, but they like to create teams to do that just so that people are having different experiences. And so I think no matter where we sit, collaboration is probably a secret weapon of organizations to help them figure out how to address some of these issues and do it in a way where people are focused on a problem that they can collectively solve. So I think this one's very important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you said that really well. I don't really have any. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, what she said. I'm staying with you guys. This is great. (laughs) This isn't really saying anything different than what you just said, Lisa, but um, when I thought, when I looked at this one, I thought, oh, that's, that kind of goes back to everything that we talked about, what inclusive, inclusivity and inclusive leadership is at the very beginning about um, inviting people to have a seat at the table. And so you can't, by, by doing that, you automatically are, are being more collaborative. Um, yeah. And it's not just inviting them to be at the table and then not letting them share their opinions or, um, you know, give their input on something. It's also um, making sure that you're giving space for people to share their thoughts, opinions, you know, expertise in different areas and that you value that. So inclusive leadership is a new way of thinking and the six C's are good ways for us to frame our thoughts on this this new way of thinking. It requires us to think differently maybe than we have before. And it's less about thinking of yourself in terms of maybe some traditional leadership roles that you've considered. These six traits are really um, necessary if we're going to re- have everyone on our teams and in our, you know, our colleagues and our workforce reach their full potential. So now that we've talked through all these things, what now? What do we do with this information? Do we print out the six C's and put them on our wall or what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I'm, I'm not sure that, that that is important enough to do, but I do think that thinking about each of them, so it might require you to maybe put in the show notes, Brandy, um, the list of the six C's. Oh, well. Um, 
so to look, so to, what do we do with this information? I think, you know, personally, I think it's really important to, um, and one of the things that we had kind of worked with our leadership team on doing was to rate your level of effectiveness. That sounds very, you know, um, performance oriented, but um, just kind of thinking about each trait and how well you are at that trait, how well you do at that particular trait. Um, and think about giving yourself a rating. We talked about a rating of one to five. So five being very effective and one being not effective at all. So in thinking about um, commitment, how committed are you to this? Are you not committed? Um, or do you think about this every and plan your every day thinking about how you can be more committed to inclusivity? And so then you give yourself a rating on that and kind of think about through all, all six C's in that way. Yeah, and I would add, you know, the next thing would be for you to have some kind of action plan. What, what do you want to focus on that is something you feel comfortable enough with that you can actually do? And uh, every once in a while when talking to people or coaching people in this particular area, I, I think it's always interesting if you think about something that you strongly believe in around diversity, equity, and inclusion, or whatever belief you've held on to, think about researching that from the opposite side. Go find information that might be counter to what you believe or what you think and go read that information. And then that allows you to maybe assess an issue with what I've always been told, what I was educated with, what I perceive to be the truth, and then go use that Google or those other things we're talking about and find things that are different than that. And then start to use that as a way to be curious because maybe the more information you have, the more research you do, it allows you to be committed. It allows you to have the courage and the curiosity. Um, it allows you to have that cultural awareness and it allows you to go ahead and, and check your biases and to become more collaborative. So take some action that's specific and sometimes that level of curiosity and personal debate allows you to grow in a way that you would not have otherwise thought of by challenging yourself to find the opposite viewpoint. Again, maybe challenge should be a C. Yes. <laughs> so now it's no longer Deloitte's, it's Patty, Brandy, and Lisa's seven C's. Seven C's, <laughs> really groundbreaking stuff. <laughs> but it, it, all joking aside, um, this is important stuff for us to think about. I really appreciate both of you taking the time to talk with um, one another today. And it's just good to have good conversation with you again, Lisa. Thank you for being oh, thank here. Thank you so much. Thank you. Really appreciate it. It's always glad, always glad to be with both of you. Yeah. Well, we'll link to um, the six C's and some of the other things that we referenced in the show notes. And we'll be coming back to you before too long with more good material, more cool guests. Nobody as cool as Lisa, but <laughs> you're uh, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> on Finance Matters. Thanks for listening in today. We appreciate you as our listeners. And until we're next together, keep doing good work because what you're doing matters. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye.